ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. What's happening on the big screen and the small? What to watch. Got us for a look this week at uh, films this week on uh, telly and uh, streaming, of course, in the cinema is Wen Lee, my critic at large. Wen Lee, good evening. Welcome back. Hello. Now, we've got the zone of interest, uh, the new look and... This is me now. I love story with Jennifer Lopez. There you go. All right. Start with the zone of interest. What's this? The zone of interest is a Oscar nominated film. Mm-hmm. It is a British film, but it's mostly in the German language, smattering of Polish in there. It is unlike anything that I've ever really seen before. If it's like a formalist experiment, but a successful one, I should say. And it's set in World War II mm-hmm. at the Auschwitz co- concentration camp. But oh, it dear. is... Oh, dear. Hmm. Oh, dear. But it is literally peripheral to the concentration camp. It is based on a true story of a comment- of the commandant of Auschwitz who, with his family, lived right on the other side of the wall of the camp. And they had this actually very idyllic pastoral life, uh, you know, blonde-haired children running around, um, servants to kind of help them out. And, it, you know, they go down to the riverbank and swim and go on the canoe and just seem to have this very, you know, what people would think has been the ideal life in that era, except on the other side of the war is the greatest horrors of human Mm. history. Mm. And um, it's a really interesting film. It's directed by a, a British filmmaker, Jonathan Glazer, because it is incredibly detached for a movie. What's he trying to say here? He's trying to say, what, the, look at the, Rudolf Foss was a, was a reasonable guy. After no, that. not at all. Because I think he was not trying to humanise them at all. He's sort of trying to say these people that committed absolute horrors, they did actually just have these normal lives because they mm. are sort of just like us, except they do these awful things. But it doesn't make them necessarily monsters in the way that I guess tabloid media would consider, mm. you know, monster and evil on the. the the uh, front pages because it is partly what these horrible things is what humanity is capable of. And Mm. I think it's saying, you know, he had a wife and he had these kids and they had this life, but it didn't stop him from committing all of these atrocities because you would have these scenes as well where it's just so unbelievably matter-of-fact without any emotional overwrought sort of drama of him with his lieutenants and underlings just kind of talking about the engineering, the mechanics of the ovens, mm. and it's horrific because it's also happening basically in their kitchen. Mm. Um, it's a really interesting film because the way that Jonathan Glazer made it is that the cameras... It's were, a drama. Isn't it, it is a drama, mm. Mm. but the cameras are not... It's not using the visual language of movies. It, the cameras are sort of set back, so they existed. They're sort of not necessarily hidden, but they're just in the corners of the sets, the microphones as well, and all the crew would be on the outside of these sets. So they, so the actors just went about as if they were people living about their day-to-day. And I think it does sort of drive home that point that, you know, you can we can absolutely point to these things that happen and go, it's unbelievable, but of course it is believable because it happened and it mm. coexists with the rest of our lives. So you say British film, but German German language, or for obvious reasons, I suppose. Because, yeah. Like, hmm. well, I mean, yeah, it happened, um, you know, under the hmm. Nazi regime. Uh, but also not necessarily that much dialogue. 
as well because you do just sometimes see people spending six minutes really distressed as well because you're not used to seeing a movie about this sort of subject completely disinterested in coddling you or giving you Mm -hmm. the emotions that you should have at any particular moment or scene. So it very much is up to you how you're reacting to everything because you don't have the sweeping score music and the the close-ups and, you know, like really flowery language about justice and humanity because it's actually just presented as sort of this thing Mm. that exists. Here is a clip featuring director Jonathan Glazer discussing the inspiration behind his film. The film's called The Zone of Interest and his vision for what he says of the film's aesthetics. In our early research, the photographs, the Hoss family album is in this garden. You see everything. You see pool and the slide and the greenhouse and the rest of it. You never see the wall that abuts the camp. There have been films about perpetrators and a lot of those examples have shown perpetrators quite villainous, you know, um, not us. So I wanted to avoid the artifice of cinema. I wanted to look at them more forensically. Hmm. And the sound design is incredible because you don't see any of the things that happen, but you hear it from beyond the walls, the screams, the cogs and machine of things working in the camp and the and the bullets. Um. Stars? Oh, it's extraordinary filmmaking. Four and a half. Four and a half. Okay. And it's where can you see it? It's in cinemas this week. Okay. The zone of interest. All right. The new look. What's this? This is on Apple TV. Yes. And actually, we're back in the same era because this is mostly World War II and post-World War II set. It is the story of Christian Dior and Coco Chanel. Oh, right. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I kind of heard... You know, sort of on the side that, yeah, Coco Chanel had some very problematic anti-Semitism Well, she was. Stuff. She was yes. anti-Semitic and she was a Nazi sympathiser. Exactly. And this is that story. Mm. Half of it is that story is because mm. you've got Coco Chanel in World War II, uh, played by Juliette Binoche, the great mm. French actor. And uh, she is, you know, conniving with the Nazis in getting, in wresting control of her perfume business from her co-owners, co-owners who were Jewish mm. and who had to flee the country and collaborating with um, the SS and uh, with this count. She does. Mm. Yeah, played by Klaus Bang, who, uh, she, who was part of the Nazis and uh, actually goes on a mission for them into, into Spain. It was extraordinary. And then on the other side is the story of Christian Dior, who is, of course, a contemporary, and they do know each other as well. And um, he famously did not stop designing during the war. Uh, he worked for a different designer, Lucien Lelong, played by John Malkovich, with an indiscernible accent, not sure what it's meant to be, but it's John Malkovich, so you kind of just go with it. And uh, and. Dior is played by Ben Mendelsohn in actually one of the softer, more gentler performances I've ever seen him give, and mm-hmm. uh, it is quite a revelation and quite a contrast to, I think, a lot of the roles we've kind of, you're, we're now used to seeing him do after Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Dior's sister, Catherine uh, Dior, is famously a French resistance fighter, and she is captured by the Nazis towards the end of the war and sent to uh, a camp as well. And he is just distraught because she's quite a bit younger than him, and she he was sort of given the task by his mother when they were very young that he was to look after her, so he feel like he's failed in this. So you've got these two contrasting figures in French fashion and um, 
who had you know went into the war with different levels of influence and power who came out of the war uh, on very different trajectories because Coco Chanel then basically fled to Switzerland to not be charged with collaboration and uh, Dior soon became one of the most faded names in French history or yeah. in French culture. Yeah, indeed. Uh, here's a bit from it. The new look, it's called... Monsieur Dior. I keep looking for a great collection to rise from the ashes of the war. Monsieur Dior, what do you desire? To design the most beautiful women's clothes that ever existed. Christian Dior ruined French couture, and I'm coming back to say that. For those of us who lived through the chaos of war, creation was survival. The legend of Coco Chanel. If people only knew. <laughs> if people only knew, they do know now. <laughs> They do know now. They do know now. Um, I do think the show is a little slow and it probably could have been a few episodes shorter. Mm. But, I mean, I will watch Ben Mendelsohn in anything and it, it is also just a really interesting story. Okay, it's called The New Look. It's on Apple TV, so you'll need to have that to have a look. Stars? Uh, Three, solid. Three stars? Three solid three stars? Okay, and this is me now, a love story. Yeah, this This is is on Prime Video. It is the J-Lo, not quite a movie, not quite a video clip collection, not quite a visual album. It's also This Is Me, Ellipsis, now, colon, a love story, which kind of gives you an indication of how convoluted it is. I think... Look at it. it. Jennifer Lopez, Ben Mm -hmm. Affleck, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, I mean... What? <laughs> Sophia Vergara's in it. Post Malone is in it. Uh, she's got a lot of famous friends and she calls on them for these very strange cameos. So this is a narrative feature. It runs for about an hour hmm. and it is there is an overarching story that connects what is essentially a bunch of video clips for her new album, which was released on the exact same day, last Friday, uh, called This Is Me Now which because she made a movie, um, a, an album previously called This Is Me Then. Mm. And uh, so you've got all these great video clips that are, you know, high choreography, lots of big production values. And then you have the story that links it, which is she's playing this fictional version of herself, someone who is a, a love addict. Uh, she's got a bunch of friends and also a celestial body of um, constellations. So Jane Fonda is playing like, I think, Libra or Cancer. Post Malone is playing Leo who sort of divinely intervene. And it is pop psychology 101. It's all about her journey to self-love because I think J-Lo is, you know, as much as she's known for her music and some of her acting, I do think she is a very good actor when she kind of does goes away from the rom-com thing, like she's amazing in Hustlers. Um, and this is just because her tabloid life of all of her many relationships, Ben Affleck is her fourth marriage and it was their second engagement It is interesting that it is directly kind of commenting and playing around with that and almost leveraging it because she's like saying, oh, you guys are all so obsessed with my love life. Well, guess what? None of that really matters because all that really matters is self-love. It's like (laughs) you can compare it to Beyonce's visual album Lemonade, but Beyonce's Lemonade was much more engaged with the culture and history and America then, whereas J-Lo is only interested in J-Lo. 
And I kind of admire the hotspot. Like, I'm not a massive fan of her music. So for me, the experience was almost unwatchable. Like, the CGI is so terrible. <laughs> but just the fact that this exists and she funded it, her production company funded it herself. They sold it to Amazon for 30 million US dollars and then just made this big thing about the fact that she's J-Lo and no one else can really pull this off is like really, really like exciting because I just think, wow, she like she did it and mm-hmm. she kind of almost has no right to because it is kind of bad, but the fact that it's there is so cool. And then there's actually another documentary about the making of the movie and the album that comes out in two weeks. Ah, narcissism, you see, has no end that ripples and ripples and ripples forever. This is a bit from it. This is me, now. This is me. It's never enough for you. He's a liar. I've never lied to you. The constant criticism. She thinks I'm her employee. This is me, Being with you feels like home. But I left home for a reason. Whenever someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up... My answer was always in love. (laughs) Well, you know what? Did anyone ever not get ahead by not talking about themselves? (laughs) Exactly. And uh, so as a viewing experience, almost unwatchable if you're not a fan, but as a pop cultural artifact that is so precisely 2024, uh, it's kind of both garbage and genius. Give it one star. Go on. I'm going to I'm going to split the difference. It's a two and a half because I'm just so entertained by its existence. Here we go. Wendley's picks this week, the zone of interest, which uh, sounds very interesting, if exceedingly dark theme. Four and a half stars. It's on and cinemas this week. It opens this week. The new look, which is on Apple TV, has got three stars. And that's the battle between Christian Dior and Coco Chanel. And this is me. Uh, if you're a JLo fan, you can't miss it. For the rest of us, we'll miss it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just wild that it's there. <laughs> two and a half stars. Wenley, always terrific to talk. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.